thriller was a force to be reckoned with, it's Merle Jaime. The celebrated creative leader and director, teacher, author, many-time international jury head and member, and advertising industry legend has a list of achievements, accolades, and awards a mile long, and has made waves across the oceans, including as co-president of a global agency, a role she since vacated. Now a creative consultant, the self-styled chair mom is pursuing her passions and is bent on giving back. Merle is a firestorm of energy, strong and brash and completely unapologetic about it. From over three decades in the advertising industry, she has a chest full of tales and lessons, including hard-fought ones, about fighting for her place at the table. My name is Leah Cruz. On this episode of What Glass Ceiling, we talk to Merle Jaime. Thank you so much for joining us on What Glass Ceiling, Merle. We're so glad that you could make it. Thank you for inviting me, Leah. I'm so honored to be part of this. You've you've had an incredibly storied career in advertising, very much celebrated. You've you've racked up accolades left and right. And is it thirty three years? Has it been thirty three years in in it's this my career? Thirty fourth. <laughs> it's my thirty four years. Yeah. Can you can you give? I I know it's pretty impossible to ask this, but can you give us a quick primer on on who Merle Jaime is in terms of her career, where, I mean, where it's taken you and where you are now? Yeah, you have to cut me here because it's a long journey. <laughs> but um, 34 means like it was an accidental journey. Okay, I've been, oh, okay. Uh, and maybe just to backtrack a bit, I wasn't really getting into a career like that because I wanted to be a nun and I entered a convent. I ran away from oh. home at 13. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I didn't want it anymore. So I was first year high school. So which means I'm not a high school graduate. So I left home. Oh, wrote, okay. Wrote a short note to my mom. And I said, I want to be a nun. Because I have so many questions about the world and nobody seems to answer it. Even my, my um, this, um, the nuns in the school. So I entered a convent. And it was contemplative. So I stayed there for three years. So... I mean, it was Ora et Labora oh, wow. because it's Benedictine. And that's where I think the foundation is. So whatever I went through in those years, hardship, physical and mental, silence of the mind, I think it's the one that got me through the stress, the pressures, you know, the, the com- competition of this world of advertising. And it got me through it, yeah. I think. So I always look back at, I used to be ashamed of that. I would be super, I don't, I don't it was so sick, a secret for me. I don't share because it's uncool to be saying that in advertising, okay? But, but if you say something about, you know, being religious or whatever, it, people might just like judge me. So I kept that secret for a long, long time up until the very moment where I owned my own agency and the pressures was different. It was bigger. It was, the competition was greater and I felt, you would really succumb to stress and mental health problems if you don't have any training in this. So I drew the strength back to my 13-year-old self and relearned what I learned then, and I think I got through. So it, if it's just a journey, it was accidental. So I got, I got out of, I just said to my mother superior, I'm done with this. I think I learned everything. At 16, I got out. It's too old to go back to high school. I got a one-day test from, I, I think it's DepEd. And then I got through college. College from a world of silence. I got into com arts. 
And then I wanted to do internship. I wanted ABS-CBN, but there was no, uh, you know, but there was no opening. They said, go to this jargon of JWT. I have no idea what agency was and an ad agency was. They asked me, do you, this is the one that got me into it. Do you want to be with the account management? And I felt account might be accounting. I'm really bad in math, <laughs> being creative. I'm bad in math. So I said, that's not for me. And then they said, media, media. I'm a bit shy. Maybe that's showbiz. Of course, that's not showbiz. And I said, no. And when they said, am I going to be in creative? And when they say creative, I draw, I draw a lot. So I said, that's probably it. And that was how it started. My journey about being a creative from being just a junior to going up the ladder and moving to the right agencies as I look for more demanding. And, you know, I, I wanted superiority. I wanted to learn from the best. So I kept on moving until I was satisfied up until I found myself leading the agency. And then I started my own. And then my own was, my own agency was bought by the Japanese. And now I'm here. So, it's, I mean, that's the shortest possible way I could yeah. describe my journey. <laughs> You you left out a lot of the awards that you've won also over the yeah. years, though. Can you can you how yes. how was that? What was that like? Because it was to some extent it was breaking ground for for yes. Philippine agencies. And what was that like also to add that to your long list of accomplishments? Well, you know, awards was just a product of hard work and believing into wanting the the greatest. It, it, I'm there were never shortcuts for me. No no. Ever. I don't want shortcuts. So if there is a headline in my creative life, it's making my creative life difficult. I don't like anything easy. I I am grow, you know, I'm suspicious of ease, easy. The easy way out is never for me. So if there is, I'm I'm, you know, I look at ideas and this is easier to do. What can we do more? Is something that guided me all throughout. I never settle in mediocrity. I I hate the word mediocrity. So Creatives who work with me is like, I push and push and push. If this is it and it's great, what else can we do? What else? So if you look at all the award-winning uh, work we've done, it's more than we were asked to do a print ad of, let's say, this telecom, smart telecoms, to say that we have been helping schools in the provinces. Print ad. So I go like, let's do the print up, but what else can we do? To the point that we discovered a SIM card can actually be, um, sorry, yeah, a SIM card can be, can, you can put textbooks in it. We created the very first SIM textbooks that we, you know, we, we put in, in the old Nokia phones because in the, in the provinces, that's what the, the people use. And then they have, they, they carry 24 textbooks, these small kids up the, the mountains. And now it's in a SIM card. So li little things. And, and those, I still remember Whoopi Goldberg, Whoopi Goldberg herself giving me the award on stage in New York. I mean, wow. this is where when you push yourself bigger, looking for more solutions, the award is like something down the line and it's a nice, you know, cherry on top. But it's, it's, we never look at that to win awards. We, we push ourselves to look for more solutions and how to make it more difficult. And that is always works for me. Oh, what do other people, like the people under you or the people you work with, what do they say or how do they react when you say, let's make it more difficult. Let's not take the easy way out. <laughs> of course, um, there's a change of generations. During the generation I was growing up in the ad agency, everybody was like, well, I went to the agency where everybody was like that because I saw them win before me. 
And I said, I want to be like them. So I really, you know, I was driving. I was the first in the agency and the last to leave, you know, trying to find the secrets of why, why are they winning? So when I got into Saatchi was the, the place. When I got to that place, everybody had trophies on their desks. I want to be that, but I'm the, the fresh grad. And then when you move into a generation, fast forward to younger ones and I'm the older one. There are a lot of younger people who would say there's a faster way to get famous. That's when I start like struggling and telling them, no, 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 no. Don't think that way. Let's do the work first. Let's look, look at the great idea first. Let's um, create some more. It's not about the, just the fame or just awards because that, that became the mentality later on. And advertising is really known as a very competitive industry. It's very cutthroat. And you've already mentioned it several times. I mean, we're a few minutes into the into this conversation and you've mentioned it already. Does that ever eat away at you? I mean, is it difficult when you when you sit down and and think about how things are going in your life? Isn't it isn't it exhausting to be at a such a high level of competition all the time? It is. And um, it's not just the competition. It's the nature of the industry. When I got into it as a very young age, I felt like I had a purpose in this life because I have four girls and two of them are already in advertising. So I, in the beginning, when I entered, I knew SIN, S-I-N, is in the word advertising. And here I am, a ex-nun, right? Entering into this world of supposedly full of like vices and wild people like so my first interview was was actually harassment if I think about it so this is our this is when I get into a talk about glass ceilings the first one was harassment when they asked me instead of asking for you know I was a fresh grad what what are the achievements you've done or whatever they asked me are you still a virgin I was shocked yeah I was really shocked and I said, that wasn't in my resume and I don't need to answer that. But you see, those things are little barriers for women like us to move forward. I was such a young, fresh grad. So I, oh my. in my mind, I had, this, I had this invisible notebook on the side, writing these things, how to correct these things, how to make these things disappear later on for more women. And as I move forward, there are more, there are more. You get, you get barriers to, so you have this, this load of having to think of the greatest ideas ever. But being a woman in this industry, you also had a lot of barriers to move forward. I found myself like, you know, I know I I won so many pitches. I've won so many awards. And yet when there was a newcomer, a man, when uh, our boss left to start an agency, people were saying, oh, Merle, you're the next. You're going to be the next boss, right? But no, there was like a moment when this newbie who had just potential on his plate versus my real achievements, he was being, you know, uh, groomed to be the next. And I had to go to the president, had a PowerPoint deck and showed him, look, I've done this for this company, this, 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 until they realized they should promote me. But why do I have to fight for that? Yeah. Okay, so again, my, my invisible notebook. My God, I have to fight, you know, and men bring potential with nothing else, right? So I felt like these are little glass ceilings for me that I had yeah. to smash one by one. And then it doesn't stop. You think I was young. I had many more, like I had many more experiences on presenting to clients, being bullied, you know, <laughs> this notion when I was young, I looked like Sharon Conetta for some reason. I get all the bullying in the office. I mean, 
So I got like my invisible notebook. This cannot be allowed in my agency. If I'm older, I have my own agency. This cannot be allowed. So I have a list of that. Values intact. What are our values? And so that's thrown away by the wind in the window. So little things. And then when I grew older, it became, it becomes bigger. I have my number one client. I can close my agency if I lose this client. And suddenly I get advances in the elevator. You know, I go like, no, you know, so little things. And then I have to talk to my, my partners. We have to give it up. We have to give up this client. This is sexual harassment. Good thing my, my partners are both men and they're he for she's. And they go like, yeah, we'll just probably have to work harder to find that same <laughs> revenue. You see? So as you move higher and higher, even global. So when I was already in my global role, I found myself as the only Asian the only woman in the conference in Amsterdam of 2,500, you know, men, <laughs> probably four women in that conference. They made me a speaker and I was like, oh my God, they're becoming more inclusive and diversified. They made me a speaker, an Asian woman on the stage, right? When I was in the back, in the backstage and they were fitting my microphone, you know, they, they fit your microphone and they brief you. Here comes two European men entering and they're the speakers after me. They looked around and they went straight to me and they said, excuse me, ma'am, are you the one putting our microphones on us? So again, it's that kind of racial thing. Like, am I because it was, I was Asian? I was a woman that automatically have that stereotyping happening. And I made that little point opening my speech. And I've never seen those two men in the whole conference anyways, again. So I, I feel like it doesn't stop until someone gets there and try to smash a ceiling like yeah. that. So yeah. in my colorful years in advertising, it's a um, challenging industry. Yeah. But it's an industry I love because it's all about creativity, but it's challenging. You have to keep on yeah. fighting for yourself. I mean, obviously with your stories, it they say that it's a dog eat dog world and it, it obviously is. We 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 hear the stories and, and you're you're confirming it right now. But what are the most difficult things that you've had to do throughout your because career? The most difficult is because I, I didn't plan my life. Being creative, I'm not a planner. So I got married very early and had my child very early on. I was a struggling copyright. You know, some people now, ah, when I reach a little bit of management, maybe I can get married and have kids because I have a bigger salary. Okay, I, that wasn't me. So I have a struggling copywriter position. My, my, my salary was so small. I had Isabella, okay? So, and then I would let her run around the agency because I would work on a weekend. You can imagine weekends is not family time, but my... My kid is there running around. And, and then I find myself pregnant again. Again, I don't plan. So I, I find myself pregnant again. At eight months, this is most difficult. At eight months, I am still in the office at 3 a.m. finishing a pitch. So the way I am, I guess, is I don't know when to stop because I work so hard. I, I, now, the looking back at it, I should have a little bit more balanced. But I think in my mind, this has to be done. It doesn't really matter whether I'm eight months pregnant or not. I'm not like that. But those are the difficult moments in life where did I make a, this, a better decision or I'm making a good decision between family or not? Because I, growing up, I was very ambitious. I didn't want, I, I, I was one of those women who would want to prove that being a mother doesn't really stop you from reaching your dreams. So I wanted both. And I didn't want 
you know, to sacrifice any until my husband would pick me up and say, you've got to go home. And that's the only time I realized what I'm doing. And then, of course, I learned those are difficult for me. Up until I owned my agency, the best thing I've done is bring my home near the agency. So, you know, you see me going home at five, teaching them homework, having dinner with them, put them to sleep at eight or nine. I go back to work. I go back to the office and finish everything. So, but at least they saw me. You know, they saw me. So bringing the home near work was, the, I think, the best thing that married both. Okay. It made me tired, but I felt I did. I, I had a smile on my face, even if I was tired, because I did both. Yeah. That was probably yeah. it. So does balance exist or is it a myth? It's a myth. For me, balance <laughs> is not, I, the word is not balance. It's integrate. You have to integrate both lives. For me, it's not balancing that this is heavier, this is lighter, and then you have to make it, it's not equal. So a, a, the best story I wrote in my book when I came up with a book on this was, there was a presentation in my agency and I know when the creatives is coming in. I'm the third speaker. When I did my creatives, I know there are two more speakers, which is pretty long, okay? So I went to a bathroom break and I went down, my driver was waiting, Rush to Assumption, thank God he's in Makati, Rush to Assumption, had the flowers ready for me, I'm by Amanang, went straight to the auditorium, my daughter is already dancing, ballet, it was done, I went up the stage, had selfies with her, which is proof, I was there, and then I went back just for question and answer portion, the question and answer portion in the presentation. Nobody knew I left I had a moment with her and I came back. When I tell this story, it was just one of the many stories that how I would integrate lives. It's hard, but I feel fulfilled doing it. I don't know. <laughs> Are there any regrets that you have or, or certain huge sacrifices that you've had to make that, uh, that you've had to make that that you still think about? I have sacrifices, but yeah. eventually it pans out and of course the there's absolutely zero regret um I never really lived outside I mean we we had a few years in Canada because we were immigrants but I never really lived outside because I took on a, a you know a global job my global job that was given to me now was just during COVID so thankfully I was home right so but during my younger years I had offers of moving around and being a creative director somewhere else and handling some more, you know, uh, brands. I didn't do that because my kids were small. Okay. So that you would say, Oh, she sacrificed that. I think what happened to me was I said, my priorities is this and I cannot do that. Uproot them. I had four. Okay. I'm very productive lady. Okay. So I, I didn't do that. I didn't do that. However, Later on, when I started my agency and we won so many global awards that nobody would think of the Philippines can win, I suddenly had a change of perspective that you don't really need to move. You don't really need to move to achieve these things. There was this one amongst many things I put on my creds. There was one thing. Out of 100 creative directors, chief creative officers in the world, there were only eight women. 
two of them are Asians, and I'm one of the Asians. For me, to be put into a hundred in the world and being one of the two Asians and eight women, I didn't need to move to London or to the U.S. to, to get that accolade. Yeah. I mean, I was just here all the while, right? So I go, it doesn't really matter. As the world changes, as we have greater reach, wider coverage, we have all of these that we discovered during Zoom. I was global president. I was APAC chief creative officer during the, the pandemic. And I didn't leave this. This is my den. This is my office. This is my room. And I was reaching 5 a.m. U.S. It, I mean, all through time zones. So I feel we have changed. You can become global without really leaving home. So that's that's why looking back now, what regret? What? There's no regrets, definitely. Yeah. Let's talk about moving through the corporate world as a creative. I, I mean, it, they, they sort of clash being creative yes. and, and being in a corporate setting. It, it's sort of, it's not the kind of marriage that you really that you really discuss or talk about. But but you've you've managed to to walk that route and and you've also branched out into into other things in in the corporate world beyond your job as a creative how has that journey been i had a talk in can about uh, our business or business should be creative i think creativity goes beyond being creative creating things and arts and whatever creativity is a different way of thinking looking at things um when i founded my agency uh, years ago, I said, everyone should be creative, finance, management, account directors, uh, everyone, even down to secretaries, executive assistants, messengers should be creative. Why? Because then the way you think is different from the rest of the world. So for example, for messengers, if you if it's only eight to five, you cannot deliver now, what will you do? What different thing can you do? For executive assistants, oh, the way they they, uh, save electricity, creative ways to save electricity and water. Um, So it it, it doesn't stop with creating work. The way you think, I remember when I became president or CEO, I was, I had, well, you have to also upskill. So I studied, I'm very bad in math. I cannot accept founding an agency or being a president if you don't know your numbers. And until now, there are a lot of creative leaders in in this industry who doesn't look at numbers. I mean, they don't look at numbers at all. So I said, you have to. So I studied accounting for non-accountants twice. So I I took on that. And when I sit down in in a meeting, I know what to look for. Not total, not everything, but I know the important numbers that I should watch out for. You have to understand or else you, you, you will not do good in this business. You, you know, you'll be, be losing money and you don't understand why. You have to. And then I have creative ways of earning too or creative ways of giving bonuses. There was, there was a, a time when I have an account manager who never had a leave because um, she had so much work. And we, we decided to create her. Her name was Finn, the Finn Leave and then we looked for her passions and then we sent her to a shopping country, forced her to shop a weekend. There was another creative director who was into golf and he was doing a lot of overtimes. We sent him into a golfing weekend. I mean, creativity also of rewarding, it's like your HR, right? So I think 
in giving bonuses, my, my finance would say, Merle, this is the only money we have. We cannot give bonuses to all. So it's a slump. And I told him, be creative. Maybe you should just give bonuses to deserving people. Who are your top 10 people? Definitely that pot will fit. So I, I think it's a way of life. It's not a department or a job. I, I also have to ask, I also have to ask because you you talk about like the, the corporate world and you talk about being a go-getter and, and you're, you're, you're very unapologetic about wanting to win and, and to be at a certain level and operate at a certain level. But as a woman... Do people look down on you for being ambitious, for being outspoken and being, you know, a goal getter, really? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's another glass ceiling, you know. Ambition or being ambitious is negative for women. For men, it's a positive. If he is ambitious, it's a plus. For women, it's always a negative thing. Why is she she ambitious? In, in, In fact, in Tagalog, it's very more degrading. Ambitiosa. So it's it's... There's a lot of negs into it. And I say, if being ambitious is just having a very high, tough goal in life and something that you wish you can achieve. There's nothing, there's nothing negative about that. And it's definitely for women as well. So I never thought it should stop me. There's a lot of, the, the mere fact that I wasn't being eyed for promotion, even if I, I deserved it, I, I felt I had to fight for an ambition there. Whereas it was very automatic for a guy to get it. So I felt um, even if I need to fight it just to make it a little bit more positive and in, in can they say, see it, be it. Be, for other women to see you pave the way for them, then they become it. So the more women leaders we have, the more women achieving their goals, more young women will say, oh, I see them. I want to be them. But if they don't see anyone there, let's say just one woman astronaut, there's not going to be other women trying to be astronauts because there's only one rare one. So I, I guess the more of us being ambitious, ambitious and trying to achieve and really achieving will pave way for many young women. And for me, I only start with my kids, my, my four daughters. They, if they see me struggling, but really like being hard-headedly you know, strong on achieving a dream, I see them like actually they're pressure. They call it mom the money. I mean, they get like, oh my God, she did it. Because I, I tell them all my difficulties and they, they almost like in their eyes, mom, it's impossible. And then I come back to the room. I go like, my God, I got it. They go like, oh my gosh. I mean, when they see it, then it's normal. It's not rare. Yeah. So which means it's really doable, feasible. But when you're out there, when you're, when you're not talking your daughters or when when you're not within the confines of your home you're out there you're interacting with people you're you're really chasing the the to-do list and and your list of goals has it happened that people talk about you in a very negative way because you're ambitiosa and and how does that make you feel at first it bothered me but because that was me i'm not like faking things or I don't want people to think them sweetie, sweetie, you know, because I want to be, I'm, it's not whoever it's being real. I think, uh, yes, uh, it bothered me for a while because they, I was like always pitting against men. Yeah. It's not even about women. It's about men. And, um, 
I, I know how I'm, I'm, you know, whenever I'm in the same room, I'm sure they belittle me or they say I'm inferior, but that just gets me going all the more. The, 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 the competitive spirit in me, gosh, you know, it's almost like I, it's almost like fuel in my brain. I have to beat them. You know, I have to beat them. Just starting an agency was that when I couldn't get what I wanted and the way I was treated was not really the right treatment. I'm going to create my own agency and put all my rules. So that was a way of doing things too. But it was, it was something that moved me and pushed me to all the more, not stop me in any way. So if, if they think that those next would, there are a lot more next, Leah, there are a lot of gossips. I got this account because I, you know, you know, I sucked up to a client and which I've never done just to pull you down. There's a lot of that. There's a lot of that in this industry and you just have to know how to cope and let it not bother you and just move forward. Anyone who's been with me or who has the same position as me, they, they could probably attest to many, many more stories, but, um, there were stories that I had an affair with a client. That's why I got the pitch. I go like, come on. I mean, thank God social media wasn't that strong during that time. It was pretty early on. There was just one site where they make chismes about all of us. I forbade the whole creative in this, in, uh, department to get into log on on that site because I felt this is like destroying people. So, but there are a lot of that. There are a lot of that. And only me because I'm the woman. I was just going to ask, you have, your, your, your partners are male. And do you see a marked difference in how they're treated or spoken to even? Of course. Um, so, um, I'm, I'm, let's say in many moments where I'm the, I have a higher position, but they were more addressed and they were more, you know, asked the questions. I was just like on the side. <laughs> And I struggle to answer. It it does happen. It does, uh, especially in a global sense. I'm in a boardroom. It's it, I'm the. It's not just I'm the only woman, but I'm also the only Asian. You get that as well. Or worse, there are a lot of women, but you're the only Asian. Even the women, I you, I feel that I don't get the same treatment. You get that, but it's really up. I guess again, it pushes me. I have to shout it out. I'm in a jury room. I've been invited as jury in juries all over the world. Name any award show. I've been a jury. In fact, I had a moment where I'm the jury president. Whenever I'm a jury president, I make sure every single voice in my jury room is heard. If she's quiet, if she's quiet, I call them out and I say, let's say, Leah, what do you think? If all the, you know, all the Americans are lording it over in the discussion, for example, I say, hey, hey, hey. Can I ask Kentaro, for example? I, I, I do that now because I experienced that when I'm in a jury room, I'm not the president. I, I have to shout out, my, I have to shout it out, you know, just to be heard. There's something about us Asian, we wait for permission to speak. <laughs> While the others, they speak like anything. Yeah. Us, we almost like have to raise our hands and politely say, can I have an opinion on this? We have that. We have that respectful, polite manner. We were brought up that way. And this is these are different cultures in a room. So I have to, so 
every time I go face to face in a jury room, my stomach is turning. Oh, it's like going into war again every single time. And I'm already so old into this business. The young ones are, huh? Are you still nervous? It's the, it's being nervous that I don't like not speaking up. And if I don't get that moment, I felt I failed myself. It's always that that way. Well, that, that's, that's very interesting to hear coming from you. I mean, at the position you yeah. already are in, that you experience all of these things and that, that, that it, you still have to fight to get to, you know, to advance a little. You still have to really yeah. push. Those moments where you've said um, a comment and then nobody reacts. And then uh, a German guy says the same comment and everybody, wow, that's a great comment. In the beginning of my career, I would just probably stay quiet. When I got older, hang on, I just said the same thing. You know, I, I learned how to, to say those things already after many, many years. But in my younger years, I would just shut up. That was the same thing I said, but, you know, I would probably go with my other Asian girls. I said that, right? You know, but, but when I'm older, I would, I would have the courage now or I make sure I tell myself, say it. And I say it. So maybe those are the growths in me, even when I'm a little older. What kind of, what's, what philosophy do you adhere to in, in building the, the community and building the atmosphere and the dynamics in your own agency, given all of your past experiences? Well, first, uh, there, are a lot of, there are a lot of unfamily because we treat everyone's family in the agency. That's why I made my title chair mom. It reminds me that being a mother, it's not just at home. It's also here at work. So I have this line that I keep on seeing, no success can, um, can be compensated by failure in the home. So however many accolades, trophies we have, if our families are complaining, you know, it's something like to think about. We have to really... Uh, be there for them. The other one is I put this on the wall. Whatever idea we come up with, it should change lives and change the world for the better. So even if I was doing my laundry soap idea, how can it change mom's perspectives on their children? So I always have to guide people. Let's not just do funny, funny ads, you know. Yeah. It has to be guided by it should change lives and the world for the better. And then of course, make your creative life difficult. I've thought that many, many times, believe me, it gives you higher rewards and fulfillment later on. I mean, even if it was not easy to do. How do you get your clients on board in, in doing work that makes a difference and doing work that that may sinasabi hindi lang yung gusto nila that you know making meaningful work how do you get how do you keep the clients happy how do you bridge the gap between meeting their requirements and doing good work that fulfills you and that you're proud of i did a tiktok on this i mean there are several kinds of clients okay there are clients who have very ambitious they want really great work but no budget. <laughs> so, so how do I, 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 you're already halfway, at least they like great work, but they don't have the money, right? So what do you do? So you come up with the greatest ideas, but you know, I trim down from my creatives how to make it smaller in a way that it will fit their budget. But that's a kind of, that's fine. 
what about clients who think that they are more creative than you? So uh, whatever you present, they'll, they'll say something that probably in their minds are, is greater than what you're presenting. So you have to hit them in saying that maybe use some data out there that 30% of like this or 90% of Gen Z's like purpose in their ads because they believe in purpose. They're woke people. So that's a way to convince clients who, fe who feel that they are more creative. They know be better. There are different kinds. Or there are clients who, uh, for example, simply they want the basic. They're very uh, traditional. They don't want to get out of their box. So what you do, but they have the budget. Okay, so what you do is, um, I teach that this to my creatives, don't shock them. Don't shock them first. Think of the greatest idea that is in the box. That's fine. That's fine as a start. But you've got to be genuinely working to make their brands bigger and um, for their brands to be brighter and shiner. I mean, sh to shine out there in the mar market. Once you've done that first role, they'll trust you more. Build the trust. Once you've built trust between this, you know, between you and this client, little and little, even if you suggest a little bit more that gets out of the box, they would listen. So listening is the first step. Later on, they will be experimenting. The third, let's do it first in digital. So we can pull it out any, uh, you know, pretty soon. It's fast. Or we can experiment. We can see if people like it. And later on, they would probably ask for a longer piece of work. So it's it's a it's a process with these kind of clients, but I like that process because it's also growth and learnings for us. So you have to first, I think you have to read the psyche of your client. It's not a one size fits all kind of solution of how to convince them to do great work or get out of their comfort zones, but it's more of studying them than trying to convince them in which is the perfect way to deal with them. The advertising industry is it's so powerful because of the messages that you are able to put out into the world. Is it, is it common practice to use the industry for good? I know this is something that you've always done. You've, you've used it to speak out for women, for causes. You've, you've put that into your work. But how do you make a difference within the advertising industry when it's, it's creative, but there are, there are set rules or it, it's rigid in a sense? Us as well, as well as creative. How do you really push to use the messaging to make a difference? I feel it's very important to use this industry for good only because we have the voice, we have the ideas, we're creative. It's like your, your celebrities use their platforms and their voices and their popularity for good, right? We are more powerful in the way we can create the ideas that will really give you results. It's not just endorsing. This is like when we did the dead whale, creating a 78-foot whale in Naik Cavite to, to prove to the president then in the ASEAN that's how dirty our oceans were. It, that, that whale was made up of, completely made up of plastic that was taken out from Naik, Naik Cavite's uh, shoreline. That was like a very powerful piece of creative idea and you should see the PR from Russia to the rest of the world. So big a PR that people are asking us to create their whales in their own shoreline in Busan, in different parts of the world. I mean, 
the idea, that's how powerful a creative can be. Now, why is it more important to do? So one is your, your creativity can be really put in good use with big results. The second one is my daughter's a Gen Z said, I don't want, I have two in advertising, my older ones, the millennials, but I have a Gen Z who goes, I know she's also creative and she goes, mom, I hope you don't mind. I don't want to be in advertising. And I said, yeah, of course I don't mind because I don't want what it's doing. Because she's she's woke. She believes in so many causes. Um, she's into international diplomacy. So she wants to, you know, get into law or whatever. And I said, you know what? I'm just going to make a case why advertising is so good for Gen Z's. Why? Because you can make these good ideas that can actually get you results. You're not just going to speak about it. You're not just going to be use your popularity or influence status on social media. It's not that. It's really getting into understanding the problem in the world. And the way our mind works is we come up with solutions, however brilliant, creative it could be. And that's the only job I think that I can think of that would do that. And if you are creative enough, you can come up with your own solution. For example, they just have yesterday, there was um, Gabriela had the defense. Uh, well, we, they have that Feb 14 and Feb 1 billion rising with Evansler. It's a, it's a dance all over the world that tells you that we are against violence for women. When, when uh, Gabriela approached me with Monique Wilson, can you do a version of Philippines? And I wrote a song, Bangon, Babae, Bangon, years ago for it. And then we create, we got a choreographer and an Aikido artist to create a dance that you don't know you're actually mastering Aikido self-defense moves. Okay. So you have a rallying song, Bangon, Babae, Bangon, about courage. Then you dance steps. It's actually Aikido. So you're actually teaching women how to do self-defense. So when events are saw what we did, it was a lot more greater than what the world was just, just dancing on the streets and saying one billion rising. Come to the Philippines, you have an idea far more superior than any part of the world because you are singing words that is of courage, dancing moves. And so now St. Scholastica, I think, danced it yesterday, all the great schoolers. You can imagine hundreds of girls, small girls, dancing Aikido moves. Isn't that more powerful? And here in the Philippines. So they asked me to translate it many times to different languages and because they wanted to do the same thing in different parts of the world. So I, I feel what kind of job can actually do that powerful statement? And that's advertising. From the past 34 years, what are the biggest lessons that you've learned? Uh, just bounce back. You'll ne you, you won't win all the pitches. I found myself crying when I lost a big, big pitch. And then I slept over it. And then the next day called everyone, let's go. Let's do it again. Pitch for another brand. Bounce back. You cannot wallow. You can cry. It's natural for us to feel bad and cry about it. I don't feel ashamed by saying I cry. But in the end, the bounce, the, the willpower to bounce back, which is resilience for me, is the 
is a bigger power, I think, and that will make you survive. Uh, I think that's uh, talking to your brain all the time. You can do it. Always pushing yourself that you can do. You have what it takes because you can also talk down to yourself. Kill that voice. You know, you're not good enough. You're the only woman here. You're weak. I mean, those those kind of whispers in the in your brain will always be there. You know, imposter syndrome will always be there. You you don't have. They, they have MBAs in Harvard. You don't have it. When I was a global president, I looked. I don't know the mistake of looking at the creds of the other people in the boardroom. I go like, oh my god. Okay. So, <laughs> And they have to kill that voice because if you enter that boredom with that voice, you'll be so small. So I feel like you have to kill that. You have to bounce back all the time and say, no, no, I can do this. No, I can. And But sometimes you have to have the help of people. So I call my friends, help me out. This is what I'm supposed to report on. Look, look at it. Look at the numbers. Why is it like this? I also ask help. I'm not like embarrassed. It, it's also humility for you, which I learned in the convent a long time ago. Don't be embarrassed. You're not big enough that you can ask, cannot ask help from someone. Always find yourself like if you need help, need you need help. Okay, so I think so for all these years, it's three R's for me. It's restless, being restless got me where I am. I moved and moved and moved, okay. Uh, believing in my gut. The other one was resi uh, resilience. Whenever I'm down, I just have to pick myself up, bounce back every single time. Everything. However, you know, you can have two days, <laughs> but bounce back. The third one is relentless. They call me makulit. I mean, there's a reason for that. Um, I hate waiting. Well, maybe this is the part where I'm not following what my convent days are teaching me patience. I'm the most impatient person. I hate waiting. I, I want things done. I don't like, it's probably, that's why in the global world, they could see me restless all the time because in the global world, there's a lot of talk. There's a so small action happening. Just talk, 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 talk. And I hate that. For me, I have more 90% action than talking. So I become impatient. So for me, results of things you've done is a big, big part of what I believe in. So it's restless, restlessness. You have a resilience of bouncing back and being relentless. And what are the words that you live by? Like every day you take them to heart and you really set out your day according to them. Well, for me, it's the one I said earlier that no success can be compensated by failure in the home because I, I experienced that, witnessed that in several families too. When you're like me, so hardworking and whatever, you've got to have a respect and trust between you and your partner that tell me if they need to stop, okay? <laughs> so, I mean, there's many times, like when I was eight months pregnant, he came in and picked me up. You have to stop and come home. I mean, you've got, it's not like you shouldn't be like that. It's more of like trying to live by it. it, it Merly, just do this and you're fine. You, you know, it's more than that because I don't want to be stopped, right? People telling you, don't do that. All the more I'll do it. I'm such a rebel. But if you integrate yourself in a way where you, I can still get into my goal, but just tell me how I should do it in, 
you know, with less hours or things like that, then, then we sit down and talk about it. So I guess someone told me when I told them that my two girls are now in Singapore and they're both working in different agencies, we're all competing. Someone told me a founder of a big agency in the U S he said, that's, that's, that's their, um, because they were inspired by you. I didn't see it that way at first. I said, maybe it's a natural thing. They gravitated to advertising because I was in advertising, but, but he said, no, it was like honoring you because you were there all the while. If, if they were, they didn't see you or they uh, resented the fact that you didn't have time for them while they were growing up, they will probably go away, far away from advertising, but they're there, which means they actually got inspired by what you were doing all this time on Saturdays. I would bring them to work, let them play in the agency <laughs> and see me doing things. Or while I'm in, uh, in the middle of a shoot, I would bring them in shoots you know, on a Sunday or OTs, or they know that I tuck them to bed, but I, they know I'm still dressed up because I'm going back to work. All of these moments, I think, got tucked in in their brain. And instead of resenting me, I guess it, it, it inspired them, which is for me the best feeling ever. Merle, thank you so much for being with us here on What Glass Ceiling and for sharing all of this with us.